Hi, welcome back to Honor of Kings here in Kingdom in Context. I'm Sean Griffin, and I'm accompanied by my incredible co-host. Ken Heidebrecht. Hey, Sean, how's it going? I'm really excited for this episode. We have some really cool brothers that are going to be joining us, hopefully having an interesting discourse regarding the second chapter of Jubilees. Yeah, it's, a, it's awesome, guys. In fact, we want to introduce um, you guys. We'll let you introduce yourselves, if you like, um, for this special episode that we're doing. Uh, Michael Solomon. I'm from Flat Out Insights. And what I usually bring to the table is how the Bible and science um, either work or don't work together. Um, so that's that's usually what I bring to it. And I have a unique position of reading scripture and and creating artwork based on what I read. And that's a amazing way to uh, study, I found. Um, so, so really it's the science and the art part of it that I bring to the table. Michael, we're glad to have you here. Uh, thank you for joining us. And then, um, our other guest host that we're having here is, I'm Chris Bailey. Hey guys, I'm with, uh, Take on the World TV, Take on the World Conferences and, uh, the lesser half of Flat Out Insights. Um, uh, you know, I always refer to Michael. He's, he's the, he's the one who, he's the professional. I'm, I just kind of help him and guide away, so. Yeah, right, whatever. I can empathize <laughs> with that position. <laughs> so, guys, we're really glad, glad that you joined us this week. Um, this is just, we have so much fun doing this, as we're testing the books. If this is your first time as a viewer to see this show, Honor of Kings, the whole purpose here is that we're taking some of the books that either were taken out of the American Canon 66 or were not included into the American canon at any point in history, but yet are in other canons around the world throughout history. And we're looking at those books and we're going to line them up to the books we do have in the Bible in front of us here in America. And we're trying to figure out, does it match up? All right. What are the themes inside of it? What are the details? What does it teach? Do these things actually line up and, and should it have not been taken out or should it have been included all along? Um, because many of these uh, books are just considered scripture by other countries and other peoples who are also believers in the wonderful creator and his son, our Messiah. So we thank you for joining us as we go through this process and you get to watch us test these things. This week, we're, we're going through Jubilees chapter two, which is a fascinating chapter because we're going to get a ton of description about angels as well as the creation. And, uh, and I think it's just a fascinating, fascinating chapter to, to discuss specifically with these two awesome brothers from Flat Out Insights. And uh, we thank you for joining us. If you, it's your first time to see us, make sure to like, share, and subscribe. Hit the bell for notifications. That way you're not missing out when we put out new episodes every week. Also, Ken Heider right here he's got his own channel ken you want to tell him about your channel yeah real quick my channel is hanging on my wall actually hanging on his words i can be uh, checked out over on youtube as well as on facebook and it's just uh, a relatively new channel but i'm hoping to create content that's unique educational and uplifting encouraging and edifying so it's an honor to do it and i uh i just love having these discussions that we're having like today and uh yeah just love it and guys, if you haven't already gotten your Honor of Kings merchandise, Ken, you want to show them your, your hoodie you got? <laughs> so we even got Honor of Kings hoodies. They've actually been pretty popular. People like them. They're super soft. It's a high quality material. And uh, it's actually, you can't see it because Ken's not going to stand up today. But if you go to the, the link in the description below, it actually has Proverbs 25.2 on the back as well. So because that, uh, that is the goal, right? It's the glory of God to conceal a matter, but it's the Honor of Kings to search it out. And uh, that's what we're attempting to do here with you, for you to watch. So, um, guys, unless you guys have anything else you want to say at this moment, otherwise we want to get into it. Oh, real quick, um, Chris, you guys are doing a conference, right? You and your wife? 
Yeah. Yeah, we've got uh, Take on the World 19 coming up. This is the third year for Take on the World Conference. Uh, we are located in Vermilion, Ohio, August 22nd through the 25th. Uh, it is four full days. Uh, we have uh, three full days of conference. And uh, at this time, I can tell you guys, we're, we're going to have the Thursday night, which is going to be a, uh, a fellowship night. We have a, it's a separate cost that night. Um, but it's a complete fellowship night. We have, uh, we'll have all the things on the grounds. We're going to have uh, from uh, like uh, the giant swing, zip lines open for adults. Uh, so they can do that stuff. Normally the teens do that during the conference. Uh, we're going to have food trucks. We're going to have lots of fellowship opportunity. And we're going to cap off the evening with uh, music and worship night. And uh, we've got George Moss, who's going to be performing. Uh, we have Rob Blackwell. Uh, he used to be with a Grammy-nominated uh, uh, Christian artist band, and uh, he's going to be doing the worship there. And we have a special guest, uh, Becca Shea. Uh, she's got a million subscribers and followers, and uh, she's really big. And uh, she's going to be capping the night off with music and worship that night. So uh, that is a, a first for uh, for Take on the World, uh, just a whole worship night and fellowship night. So that's Thursday and uh, full conference we've got um we're gonna have about 35 speakers and we have uh roughly 70 sessions uh which include uh all sorts of different topics from biblical cosmology to understanding uh the commandments un uh down to his feast days those types of topics as well as uh, satanic ritual abuse and just a whole host of them we have family topics a uh, full kids program teens program so Check out Take on the World 19 for all the details. Awesome. Takeontheworld19.com. Awesome. <laughs> awesome, brother. Thank you for that. Um, I think you guys, this is your second year doing the conference. Last year seems to be is, a success. This is the third year. So oh, this is uh, year number three. Yeah. So oh, awesome, brother. Yeah. Um, yeah. You guys check out the link below uh, for any more details on that. And that'll be in the description box below the video. So uh, guys, I'm excited. Jubilees chapter two. There's some big, there's a lot of meat in this chapter that we're going to get to go over. And, um, and uh, without further ado, I say we jump right in. Okay. All right. Um, and as always, I normally, uh, I normally defer to Ken to start opening with their opening reading. He's got such a great narration voice. So I was, <laughs> are you more ready? You want me to start Sean? Yeah, yeah. Ken, if you want to start reading, what we're going to do, though, is we're going to just take maybe four or five chapters and then stop and pause and then discuss those chapters. Yeah, those um, verses, verses, you mean? I, I meant to say verses. I'm sorry. Yeah, unless those specific verses um, are, are like, unless the break is like right in the middle of a big point of context and you want to keep reading the next verse right after it to finish up, you know, that concept that's being described real quick. And that, that way we can just break it into little segments for make it palpable for people to follow. Yeah, absolutely. I can start with the uh, first four verses. I think it covers the first two days. All right. Jubilees chapter two, verses one. And the angel of the presence spake to Moses, according to the word of the Lord, saying, write the complete history of the creation, how in six days the Lord God finished all his works and all that he created and kept Sabbath on the seventh day and hallowed it for all ages and appointed it as a sign for all his works. For on the first day he created the heavens which are above and the earth, and the waters, and all the spirits which serve before him, the angels of the presence, and the angels of sanctification, and the angels of the spirit of fire, 
and the angels of the spirit of the winds, and the angels of the spirit of the clouds, and of darkness, and of snow, and of hail, and of hoarfrost, and the angels of the voices, and of the thunder, and of the lightning, and the angels of the spirits of cold, and of heat, and of winter, and of spring, and of autumn, and of summer, and of all the spirits of his creatures, which are in the heavens and on the earth. He created the abysses and the darkness, even tide and night, in the light, dawn and day, which he hath prepared in the knowledge of his heart. And thereupon we saw his works and praised him and lauded before him on account of all his works for seven great works did he create on the first day. I think we'll stop there and just uh, maybe just discourse about the first day because there's a lot in those, just those two verses there. Yeah, there really is. Um, first, first question that comes up to me, guys, is the angel of the presence spoke to Moses according to the word of the Lord saying. So very first verse right out the gate. The angel is, is being used in the agency of, of Yahweh to tell him, I want you to write this stuff down, the history of creation. So is this the moment where he's getting the information for Genesis 1? Hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of how I see it, Sean. And I think it's really important as we move through this chapter and really throughout the rest of the book, brothers and sisters, is that there's a personal pronoun that often gets used, the we, that we have to pay attention to. And as Sean already noted, it's, it's in the, the first person of this angel of the presence. So he's kind of referring to himself as well as his other angelic brethren in this, this we personal pronoun that, that goes throughout the narrative. So it's just interesting to keep in mind as we move along. And we do see that later in this particular chapter as well, as it talks about the Sabbath and, and the uh, angel says that, you know, even we in heaven keep it and have since creation. So, yeah. So the, thing that sticks out, the thing that sticks out to me is it starts to become very clear uh, about the angels in the regards of uh, what we've all known as the stars. And uh, although the stars have not been created at this time, but this starts to give precedent that the angels that we that we see scripturally, extra biblically, that the stars are angels. And we and we have you know here mentioned uh, you know about the winds, um, all these things, um, the angels being these things right and so i think there starts to become a uh, a very precedent about um what we're going to probably later talk about in regards of the stars um being angels and those wandering stars uh, those specific what we call planets and i think one of the most important things to understand is that we have to read this literally because this is supposed to be a literal description of creation so if we if if we read this passage literally, it, it makes a much more sense. You can't put metaphor and then a literal description and then a metaphor. You get all confused, okay? It, it, either it's one or the other. Is indeed a true literal description of creation. That means these angels actually are in charge of these various elements and, and, and phenomena of creation which changes everything it changes everything about science okay basically trashes science i mean let's let's be frank here it just, it just trashes it um and it and it makes the physical world much more personal yeah amen i agree brother and that's one of the reasons why and i know i've said it on other episodes um why i love this book so much is that we get this pertinent information regarding these angelic spiritual brothers of ours that we don't see within the book of Genesis, right? We don't see right on day one, the emphasis placed on these angels that were clearly created on day number one. And 
you know, as you said, Michael, it's, it's something that we need to take literally. And we don't have no reason not to take it that way, right? We don't mm-hmm. see throughout mm-hmm. the rest of this chapter any usage of um, metaphor or simile or any, any, you know, literary device that would lead us to believing that it's not to be taken literal. So I agree, brother, that we, we really should be doing that. And it helps create in our mind, as you like to do, Michael, like a visual of what's taking place within this creation model that we see at the beginning of Yahweh's creation, this important setting that the father wants us to understand right from the get-go, right? And it's that visual, that's a good point. It's that visual that we really have to embrace because if we don't, we don't see the true majesty and and the actual reality that's going on here. Um, And that's what the enemy does not want. Because if we could accept scripture and even the extra biblical texts that do not conflict with canon, okay? Because as far as I'm concerned, if they don't conflict, I'm good, all right? So, so if we start to truly accept this, how it's written, then the enemy's in big trouble because then our relationship with Yahweh becomes closer, tighter, more powerful, which means we become more powerful in him and then the enemy has a bad day at that point. Yes. So seeing it as seeing the reality of, of scripture as metaphor, simile, and all the other stuff, that's really important for the enemy for us to see. So when we read it, because of the way most of us were trained, we read into it all that other make-believe stuff. And if it doesn't fit in this uh, fiction of science, and, and, and the uh, traditions of church, then we just kind of ignore it. And then we miss out on great truths that Yahweh wants to share with us. Amen. Yeah, amen, I, th- I, think with, I think with these books, you know, we've got, um, over the years, obviously, um, the sequestering of certain books, um, and then just going out of public view for such a long time, um, you know, especially like Enoch and and and, uh, and whatnot, you know, because of the the aspect of cosmology and how it affects everything, you know, as we started to see the rise of of science and Plato to you know the all the empires, um, these books become dangerous because they start to give a much more literal interpretation of this creation model, which is very dangerous to what they have been trying to spew on us for such a long time. Although they've been winning, they're going to soon be losing as, as, as truth in these latter days, as we know is going to come, um, this truth is going to be revealed. And, and we see that now of just people understanding the cosmology is driving them right back to scripture. And, you know, and then these, these additional um, books that are coming up and, and showing truths and values, you know, just like um, when we start to study things like the Nephilim and we start looking at the books of Enoch and we start to see these truths you know, it starts to give these credibilities to an untold story that we've never heard our whole lives, which is embedded right there in the canon. And um, uh, yeah, like Michael said, it's it's going to be a bad day for, for the enemy when when these truths are fully revealed and the science, these fake pseudoscience of the world just falter. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It makes me wonder just, 
you know, where we see the angels of the spirit of the winds. Um, it just reminds me of what Yeshua had to say in John chapter 3, where he's talking about, um, in verse 8, the wind bloweth where it listeth. And the, the word for wind there in the Greek is um, Strong's 4151, which is pneuma, which can also be spirit, right? So when he says, the wind bloweth where it listeth, and there, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but can't tell where it comes from and whether it goes. So is everyone who is born of the spirit. And the word spirit there is the same as the wind. So when we kind of plug in this little equation here that there's spirits of the wind created, it makes me wonder what we're feeling. We, may, we don't see it, but we feel something, which is really interesting, which apparently there's spirits of that wind. And we know even in Revelation, I believe there's four angels that are told to hold back the winds, four winds in four corners of the earth, which we have, we have you know, eschatological implications involved with, with the wind itself. But it just, mm -hmm. as you guys have been saying, it drives home this really real tangible thing that really dismantles Platonism and all these other things where they want to separate us from the real tangible created model that the Father is trying to inform us about in his word. And Michael, mm -hmm. Michael as you mentioned earlier, when you mentioned um, the enemy, does this mean what we're reading here in verse two, where it goes over all the different types of angels and some of the things that they're set over as far as responsibility? This means if we're getting a broad general view of the first day of creation before any of the rest of the story takes place, that the Hasatan, the Satan enemy himself, the one who rebelled later, he's lumped into this group that's being described right here, right? So yeah, he, was, he, he was given some sort of job over some of these things at some point. And that's a very good point. You're right. Yeah. So he was part of the crew. He was yeah. part of the original crew. Okay. Um, so so he has intimate knowledge of, of, of the power that's going on here. Yeah. I, I like the way you said the word power, by the way, because we're going to get to Psalm 150 verse 1 later about the power of the ferment. Okay. But yeah, that's, uh, because that's, that is exactly what's happening here is all these things are working. Of course, we say in a very generalized way throughout scripture that, you know, everything exists by the power of God, right? It's kind of very, mm -hmm. and then we've got to break it down into more specific statements as far as, you know, like, like Jubilees is attempting to do here, as far as how those powers work, right? Where What's generically referred to in many of the Psalms and other prophetic scriptures of the power of the heavenlies. Well, we're reading about this, right? The power, what is the power of the heavenlies? What, it, what is the, uh, the four winds, right? What are the pillars of the earth that are being referenced in various passages? And, and so, and if there, these are functions of the creation model. And so far we're already seeming to get a whole bunch of jobs listed out to, to, to entities that are being mm -hmm. called spirit beings who serve him. They're given a bunch of jobs to what looks like maintain and, and keep functioning this creation model. Mm -hmm. At least that's how it reads to me. Yeah, one one thing that I want wanted to touch base on real quick is the 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 aspect of all the things that we know we're dealing with today, from from harp to um, you know geo weather engineering and uh, all, all you know from from chemtrails, um, and we know that these technologies come from 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 an evil presence, and you know right here this gives you know, credibility to, to the satanic influence on these programs and this influence because he intently knows them. And just like how these fallen angels who fell that taught mankind all these things, as we see in the book of Enoch, um, right here, this gives precedent that 
they had intent knowledge of how to do these, how, how to manipulate these things. And right now we're seeing this in full fruition, um, you know, from catastrophic events to, you know, uh, stopping rain, those types of programs. Uh, you know, I don't know if you guys want to give any thoughts on that, but uh, I think this, this passage gives so much um, insight to what we're dealing with today. Uh, just as a real, uh, just a quick brief definition. You mentioned something, uh, Chris, where you talked about harp, and that mm -hmm. is remind me is high altitude aeronautic resonant projection. Is that what it stands for? Yes, I believe so. Yeah, and it's basically where they're shooting microbursts of radiation into the upper ionosphere, trying to manipulate, uh, I guess, weather patterns. Is really the, and this is something that I think I researched a few years ago. Is there's actually a, um, it, it came up what I think. The first installation was built in Alaska in the mid 90s. And then now there's mm -hmm. other installations built around the world, but it's a part of the Department of Defense with variances related into DARPA and NASA at the same time. Mm -hmm. And uh, and ultimately it is fully funded by the US government and supported as a part of climate mitigation bills. <laughs> so this, this is how they get around the terminology of climate control. They call mm -hmm. it climate mitigation, right? Which in that even that title itself kind of assumes there's a problem that needs to be mitigated. Right, right. You know, yeah. So they're very slick mm -hmm. with their words. But according to what we just read in Jubilees too, it seems these angels are are the climate mitigators, <laughs> the, yeah, the climate yeah. controllers. Yeah. You know, yeah. What I mean? yeah. Do I also see a correlation with what you just said? I think that the um, the angels, the watcher angels of the Book of Enoch, you know, they were lumped into this day one creation, right? That they were a part of that, so they would have all the knowledge of this stuff. So for them to kind of disseminate that to mankind, which was one of their big issues, right, that the father had with them is this teaching of the knowledge of things that are above the, our firmament that isn't for us to know, really. And, and the type of depth that they did tell mankind was a, a huge no-no. And so, you know, for Hasatan to be rolling around in the earth today and, you know, the, the elite of the world having access to that knowledge through him, um, mm -hmm. it does not surprise me that that's how they're tapping into this this the stuff that they're trying to use in, in our day and age. Yahweh six days to create everything that exists, and he spent the entire second day creating the roof over our heads. Learn more about the firmament and the waters above in this brief video teaching at the YouTube channel Hanging on His Words. So if you if we think of it like that, then this battle again is a completely spiritual battle because they are fighting angels, <laughs> the ones who control yeah. these things. And um, that also puts a very interesting uh, enlightenment on on uh, what is really taking place. Yeah. Be yeah, I think because that's, we're that's you know he's still in control. So. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The father's in control, but as we're reading, he's given a sense of uh, responsibility to his angels. And then as we see in other places in scripture, right, that the angels have duties and that they will come back with Yeshua to fight at his return. And I think what you're actually referencing when you say that they're having a battle against the angels or against maybe the job duties given by the father's authority to these angels, I think it's even it's, that might be. And let me look it up real quick. But that might be what's being referenced in Isaiah 24 um, whenever we see at the um, it's the whole ver in my opinion, the whole chapter is about the day of the Lord and the return of the Messiah. Um, and then at the end of the towards the end of the chapter here and pull it up real quick, it says that there's a couple different battles and it describes it very uniquely. Um, and it says that, um, okay. um, and it says, I'll just start here in verse 18 that um, then it will be that he who flees the report of disaster will fall into the pit. And he who climbs out of the pit will be caught in the snare for the windows above are opened and the foundations of the earth are shake. The earth is broken asunder. The earth is split through. The earth is shaking violently. The earth reels to and fro like a drunkard and it totters like a shack for its transgressions is heavy upon it and it will fall never to rise again. So it will happen in that day that the Lord will punish the hosts of heaven on high and the kings of the earth on the earth. And like, and they will be gathered together like prisoners in the dungeon and will be confined in prison. And after many days, they will be banished. Uh, for this moon will be ashamed and the, abash, excuse me, the moon abashed and the sun ashamed. For the Lord of hosts will reign on Mount Zion and Jerusalem and his glory will be before his elders. So it's just an interesting concept in verse 21, 22. Now he's talking about uh, the Lord will punish the hosts of heaven on high. And to me, this is the word host here is the use of the word army, yeah. right? The army of heaven on high and the kings of the. So there's two there's two things being listed off here. Um, you know, Ephesians 6 talks about we battle not flesh and blood, but principalities, spirits of the air. Yeah. So this yeah. is a concept of whatever they are up there that's doing it, whether it's um, Ken and I, we, we kind of after studying Enoch have a peculiar view and well let me say it like this it's maybe not the majority of you where we don't feel like the the watchers um that are punished in, in the book of enoch are getting back out so we we feel like all the the evil that's being perpetrated or nephilim spiritual activity from the unclean spirits um then <clears throat> and, and that's what could be what's being talking about here because we we also found like a correlation from our studies that it seems to say that the revelation nine army that comes up out of the pit would be this particular host of, of heaven on high. Cause as you guys know, we're going to discuss this in the following verses here. The word heaven is defined for us in scripture, right? Mm -hmm. And this word is the word firmament and, th and the word heaven in, in Genesis one sixty eight was the actual name. The Shomayim was the name given to the actual structure of the, of the term firmament. And so whenever we see this word generically used in the English all throughout the prophets, you know, that's where I've always said the word firmament's spoken about four to 500 times all throughout the Bible. People just don't, they just don't remember that it was called heaven. You know what I mean? And so, um, so in this case, like if it just always made me think he's going to punish the hosts of heaven, the armies of heaven on high. And is it talking about the first heaven in the sky above us? Or is it talking about the actual firmament itself? Um, and then down on the earth, he's going to punish the kings on the earth. Right. So it's a very unique passage de delineating two different, two different, uh, uh, battles, if you will, you know, because when he returns with his warrior angels, as Matthew 25, 31 says, he's coming down to do business. And it would only make sense that he has to approach whoever's in the air first to do business before he gets to the ground. So I just think it's it's very fascinating uh, insight to this idea of his angels um, who are, as we saw here in Jubilees chapter two, assigned different job duties. And some of them are to fight. So yeah. that's something to consider.
Yeah, and Sean, as you had mentioned, um, the firmament, which we are obviously going to talk about in great detail, um, in my opinion, is mentioned here in verse 2, where it says, For on the first day he created the heavens which are above and the earth and the waters. So I think a lot of people who aren't very familiar with the book of Jubilees kind of wouldn't assume that there are other firmaments, possibly, above the one that we would call firmament that was created on day number two. Especially if we're plugging in that little equation that you just brought up, how in Genesis 1, verses 6 to 8, Yahweh created the firmament, and then he called it heaven. So if we assume that that's the same thing for heavens where he had created in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, we see that correspond with verse 2 here in Jubilee chapter 2. He created the heavens, right? Plural. Shemayim is plural. So he created his heavens. And Sean and I have discussed this in other uh, episodes where we believe, I think, that there's actually seven firmaments and that he created the one that's above our heads on day number two. And so that's how I see Jubilees chapter two, verse two, is that he, he, he created six firmaments. And then on day number two, he creates the one that's above our head to separate the waters from the waters. Yeah. Mm. So I know it's a little bit different take. And this is actually when I, I watched a, a Rob Skiba debate um, in, in, I think it was with against Syngenis. And this was one of the sticking points that kind of came up that Syngenis felt like he kind of had Skiba on the ropes about, you know, and I was kind of laughing because I was like, <laughs> but at the same time, I think that they, none of them were discussing the idea that there are, even in the canon, there are multiple layers of firmament mentioned. And I think that that's important to understand because you start to realize there it's an actual structure. It's a house with multiple levels, hence the term most high, right? He is the most high because he's on the top level. You know, and so um, and this, of course, you know, we see in, in the apocalypse of Abraham and in the book of Enoch that um, well, even even in Second Corinthians uh, 12, right, verses one through three, where Paul talks about the third heaven. Um, and so there's there is this idea that there are multiple layers. And so whenever we see that the sun, moon and stars are placed in the firmament, I know that other people will say, well, that means it has to be below us, below the firmament created on the second day in within our visible atmosphere. But is it possible that it's still in the waters above the firmament created on the second day, but still yet inside the overall big structure of the firmament, which has multiple levels to it. So that's, um, hence it would be just like a big house created. That's actually a really interesting concept because there's a lot of, um, cultures that actually picture a multiple level firmament, because as you know, most ancient cultures believe that there was a dome. All right. But, uh, uh very many of them actually show multiple levels of a dome. And some of them, if I'm correct me if I'm wrong, but some of them actually have seven levels. Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, 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 Asgardian um, dome is multi-leveled and maybe the Hindu as well, but they actually have a multi-level dome. Yeah. yeah, personally, from all my study, I jokingly call myself a fundamentalist. Uh, because I, I, I love the firmament and I think that it is the great um, it's the great shortcut to having this conversation with other Dude. believers and unbelievers alike about the creation model, because it, it immediately dispels all the indoctrination of the, you know, uh, the flat piece of land with water falling off the edge in space. Right. The, the nonsense mm-hmm. uh, par- the paradigm that people have been indoctrinated to think of. So you, yeah. you skip right past all that and you get right to something that logically already makes sense to you from an engineering standpoint, which is. We have an enclosed space. We have a place, a house that was made for us. We have an enclosed 
exposed area. You know, it makes perfect sense. And all the physics of science from chemistry and gases and how everything works, works perfectly inside an enclosed model, you know? And so um, that's why personally, you know, I spent years um, in, in uh, social media groups debating this concept with believers and unbelievers alike. And, and I, I started to figure out over time, if I just start talking about the firmament, it, it causes a lot of believers to, it's, it's hard for them to skirt the issue, right? Because they have to address all these verses that describe a structure. And then if I start talking about the firmament with unbelievers, um, it, the mockery is 90% less because they realize I'm talking about something that's viable. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a fascinating concept. One, one of the things that, that changed my life when I, uh, when Yahweh first brought this truth to me, as soon as I realized that the firmament actually meant exactly what scripture said, it's a solid structure that, that, totally erased space yeah. it, it could not exist and without space you got nothing okay i mean the big bang even evolution all of that stuff uh quarks and and, and black holes and, and neutrinos yeah neutrinos and dark space and, i mean all all that stuff ceased to exist when you have a dome and i mean mind you i was sick for three days but uh, because I was the original space cadet, but but it, it totally destroyed space. So yeah, I, I totally agree with you. Yeah, and Sean, you had said not too long ago something really interesting that um, all throughout human history, Satan has essentially he's propagated the idea or he's really relished in the concept of worshiping the celestial bodies above, right? The sun, moon, the stars totally do that, right? We can see that. Now, if people started worshiping the firmament, that right there, there's an issue because it's wait a minute, what is this hard structure? It dispels all this other pseudoscientific nonsense, right? He doesn't want anybody worshiping that because if they do, they see that, wait a minute, right. we're right. inside of something here, we're contained, but go ahead and worship everything else that's through those firmaments, that's fine. That's a great point, Ken. So by omission, it's a red flag that it's never brought up to worship the actual structure itself. Yeah. Because the structure itself defies, in my opinion, the in-game deception, uh, which is, which requires space in the helio model. So, yeah. but that's wild. That's wild, guys. Um, anything else in, in the first three verses we want to touch upon? Here, something real quick I wanted to say uh, is that if we look in verse, uh, and this is kind of tags onto what Kim was talking about with um, the, the idea of the, the word heavens being introduced in verse two, before we get to verse four, which starts talking about the specific firmament which is also called heaven throughout Jubilees and Genesis. And it's this idea that um, it, it the, the way this is written is very, very similar to, to the writing style that we see in Genesis, where it introduces co large concepts, big, broad, like verse one, right? Write the complete history of the creation, how in six days, Lord God finished all his works and all that he created and kept Sabbath on the seventh day. Well, he just skipped through Genesis chapter one, verse three, all the way through chapter two, verse four. Right. So he just he just encompassed a large thing and talked about all the creation models. So and it's just in one little sentence. But that doesn't mean that there's two creations being described in Jubilees chapter right. two. It's just a short summary introductory statement to to let you know. And then it's going to in verse two down. It's going to expound upon all the details within that first statement. We see this happen a lot in Genesis as well. And that's why, you know, people that that um, do not take a, a good, strong contextual breakdown of the text from Genesis will start to say, well, see, there's two creations in Genesis, you know, and they start because they just they, they make that mistake, I guess. So I just want to point that out, that even in a writing style, 
with Genesis. This has a very strong similarity right off the bat in the first few verses of chapter two, which if the claim of chapter one of Jubilee is, is true, that would be a very strong point of validation to it, meaning that this information was given the same time Genesis was given on Mount Sinai. I, I want to make one more comment on, on verse two. I remember when I was young and in the churches and they always had the statement of, well, God is in control of everything. Okay. So, but they never gave particulars. Oh yeah. He can just do anything. He's just a control of everything. Praise the Lord. Go home. All right. So, so verses like two, verse two here actually shows the utility of the purpose of Yahweh, where he actually has, has departments and he actually has specific object ob objectives for specific agents that he has created. Okay, so he has a rhyme and a reason. He has a strategy. The way that he does things is very specific and 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 he delegates. All right. Now, if we learn that, once again, we start to have a peek into how he does things, which makes the relationship, which is the whole point, which makes the relationship with him closer and stronger. But you don't learn that in church. I, I mean, I'm, I'm trying not to bash on church, guys, okay, really. But it is what it is. This has been my experience. You don't learn it. It's very generalized. Jesus is love, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's very generalized. And they don't show the specifics that scripture, even, is, even in canonized scripture, show specifics. And they stay away from that. And, and, and therefore, he just becomes a general God, like any other God, Okay. And it it doesn't set him apart the way it should. Yeah, amen. And what you're talking about is where we get this term blind faith, right? Don't yeah. ask questions. Don't ask questions. Just believe, right? Mm -hmm. This is. Mm -hmm. And then what it does is it subconsciously aver, um, turns all the authority to the speaker, the teacher, or the pastor, or the leader, mm -hmm. right? Because then suddenly all interpretation is subjective, as opposed to being able to go to the text and find an objective description that everyone's on board with. And so this is why, yeah, hundred percent agree with you. I was the same guy going in to in Bible college, going into the professor's classes afterwards and, you know, in their offices and asking questions that they couldn't answer. So in fact, <laughs> I've got another series I'm working on called tough questions for pastors, because there's a lot of, a lot of questions that uh, they just either refuse to or can't answer. And so they skirt the issue. Just, we just got to believe we don't understand how it all works. Well, I've, I'm of the opinion after reading the Bible for 21 years that God did tell us how it all works. That was yep. the point of giving revelation to mankind. Yep. And he explained with 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 clarity and an abundance of prophets exactly how things works. And we, it just requires us to take the text seriously, study it and be you know approved by it. And I think that this is a great example here of what you're talking about of Shaliah, which is the Hebrew concept of agency, that he does things in a very logical fashion. Right. So this idea of this like Catholic idea of this omni omniscient uh omnipresence right that he's in all things in all places and all all at once right very gnostic idea yeah and realize that because in fact what he is is the most high and he is one the father who had a son too who then through his son and agency all these things are happening uh, which is why yeshua called himself the king of heaven and then we have all the angels who are his servants just like verse 2 says to serve before him to practically and logically go out and do all these functions 
uh, all these job roles, which is for all the in that church uh, setting that you're talking about, Michael, all the people sit in the pews that have, you know, there may be an engineer or they're a statistician or an accountant or they're a doctor and they have to deal with very practical, logical things. And they have their own sense of agency, even within their doctor's office where the nurse helps them with the procedure. Right. Mm -hmm. And so. Of course, the doctor gets credit and he has the liability for the lawsuit if things go wrong, but yet he's still using the agency of his nurses who are trained to help him, to serve him as he does the overall task and purpose of trying to heal the individual. So the same thing with our father, the same thing. He's created all these spirits to serve before him. And something else that I think the viewer might might serve well to understand as we walk through the rest of this chapter is that when it's using the word spirit, we're not talking about Casper, the friendly ghost. We're talking about you and I, like we're talking about real tangible, you know, right. you can touch an right. angel. angels eat food. Angels are above in heaven. It's a real land. It's a yeah. real place. Um, this is why, you know, we're promised to be made like the angels at the resurrection, which Yeshua exemplified upon his resurrection body to which he told Thomas to touch him. Right. But yet he still exemplified mastery of the creation in a variety of ways. He has a higher ability to move and and go like the wind and he has just like we see angels do throughout scripture but these are very real just because it used the word spirit doesn't mean it's it's uh, non-corporeal or it's like it doesn't have any kind of actual body of itself um in fact enoch tells us that it can change forms if they want to uh, which is very interesting but at the same time i just want people to to realize we're talking about the tangible creation and we're talking about tangible people in charge of tangible things mm -hmm. and this is just some ethereal, wispy, interdimensionality we're talking about. It's yeah. all very real and practical. Yeah. You know, I've often told told people that just because God is spirit doesn't mean he does not have a body. Because, because that just means he has a body made of spirit, whatever that is. We don't know what that is. Obviously, it's something incredibly powerful, something different than flesh and bone. But clearly he has a body because he was able to walk in the cool of the day with Adam and Eve. He was able to show his back to, to Moses without killing him. He had to have a body in order to have a back. So, I mean, he sits on the throne. So basically you have this ball of energy. I've actually seen illustrations where you have this ball of energy floating above, above a chair, which makes no sense whatsoever. So, so according to scripture, the spiritual beings, they're simply another form of life. If you want to look at it scientifically, they're a whole nother species. Yeah. yeah we get, we get like, a lot of description on the most high there, Michael. As you just said, it's we we see in Daniel, we see other places that Yahweh the most high has yeah. wool-like hair. He's got like it, it describes him. Yeah. Right? Right. <laughs> no, that's a metaphor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's and that's so. Yes. Yes. Thank you for bringing that to, to the attention, Michael, that these are very real concepts that we're looking at. Um, and we're about to get to even one that's more real than anything that, in my opinion, um, creates the reality of interaction that we have, even stuff that we, um, we we would refer to with the term gravity. And that is what we're about to read about here, which is this idea of the firmament. So John, actually, before we get there, I wanted just to touch base one on one thing real quick in verse three of Jubilees too, where it's okay, like, sure. yeah, if you don't mind, it says, and thereupon we, the angels saw his works and praised him and lauded before him on account of all his works. And then we can see actually in Job 38, which is, I love that book. It's so fascinating. Um, starting in verse four, it says, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? 
Tell me if you have understanding. Who set its measurements, since you know? Or who stretched the line on it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God showed it for joy. So here I think we have a direct parallel in verse 3 of Jubilees chapter 2 yeah. of praising him, right? On day number 1, which I believe is what Job is being told by Yahweh in, in chapter 38 that, you know, he's going over the foundations and this and that and how I sunk the bases. That's on day number one, along with the created sons of God on day number one. So that corresponds, in my opinion, with some validity here that, you know, lines up with this concept that angels were created on day number one, according to Jubilees. Good catch, brother. I like it. All right. So here in verse four, it says, and on the second day, he created the firmament in the midst of the waters and the waters were divided on the day. Half of them went up above and half of them went down below the firmament that was in the midst over the face of the whole earth. And that was the only work God created on the second day. And on the third day, he commanded the waters to pass off of the face of the whole earth into one place and the dry land to appear. And the waters did so as he commanded them, and they returned from off the face of the earth into one place outside of this firmament, and the dry land appeared. Interesting stuff. Interesting stuff. <laughs> All right, so we have the introduction to this idea of a firmament, which, you know, if, if we look at, and I'm going to put it up on screen here, that we, we look at Genesis 1, chapter 1, verse 68, right? And, it, and as we can see here at, in verse 8, it just describes the firmament in the same way that we see here in verse 4. Right on the second day, he created the firmament in the midst of the waters. The waters were divided, half of them above, half of them below. And that's exactly the same thing we see in Genesis chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. But then in verse 8, it says, and he called the firmament heaven. So that would make sense of what we read, as we talked about earlier in Jubilees chapter 2, verse 2, where he says, on the first day, he created the heavens, plural, which are above, and the earth and the waters. So before he made the specific firmament that divided the the dry land and the and, and the waters from the waters that we just read about below, he created even more firmaments in a bigger, broader sense, apparently, um, which gives us this idea of multiple layers, multiple levels, you know, multiple stories to the house, if you, if I could say it like that. Well, well, let's take that back to uh, uh, Genesis one one, you know, where we have in the the King James translation, we have in the beginning God created the heaven. And the earth, right? And we have other translations that will say heavens, which heavens will support what Jubilees 2 is saying in the multiple heavens. Um, so what, what's your guys' take on <clears throat> um, 
is this being a deceptive thing in regards of King James translating Genesis 1-1 as a singular heaven rather than a plural heavens, as other translations do? That's a good point. I think, isn't in the Hebrew, the word heaven, shomayim, isn't that a plural? Yes. So that's yeah. a good point. That may be a bad, a bad assumption by the translators to... Uh, to because once it carries over to the English, if they add an S to it, it makes it plural. So then for them to take that S off in Genesis 1 1. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of a and this this is a great example. That's a great point, Chris, because this is exactly why we dig into the text to find not just the, the text we're looking at, but all of its mentions as much as we can, you know, have time to discuss within the canon because we'll get a greater context of how this thing's being described, you know, instead of just trying to rely on one verse that may possibly have a bad translation to it. I was going to say what Ken and I have realized as we've studied some of these things is that we found lots of places where the translators just insert their own opinions because they, yeah. they, it comes from their understanding of the context. And therefore like the book of Hebrews is horrible about this. Like if you guys check out the book of Hebrews on like um, biblehub.com and you'll see all the italicized words that are inserted into the book of Hebrews because it's what they understand as they were translating it about from their own personal leanings, whether they were who, who knew what personal leanings they had. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't mean that they, that that was accurate to scripture, but they in, still, they insert their own words to, to make the best sense of it in their own mind. And it can be very misleading. So that's, that's a, it's a, it's a sad because in cases like this with Jubilees, we don't have the depth of scholarship like we do with the American canon of 66. So we can't go behind the text and we can't see, you know, um, specifically if there was a word inserted or not, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, we just got to do our best to look at all the context about this concept. Well, here, here's something, here's something interesting is <clears throat> when we look down at the translations, um, these are the ones that um, uh, make heavens plural, which is the NIV, the uh, New Living Translation, the ESV, um, the Berean Study Bible, the New American Standard, um, Christian Standard Bible, Contemporary uh, English Version, uh, the Holman Christian Standard, um, the, um, the Net Bible, I mean, the list goes on and on, uh, the, the New Heart English Bible. Uh, it seems like uh, King James, um, I mean, there's a few, uh, you know, the Jubilee Bible, um, but you could even see uh, the the King James um, here is uh, is keeping it plural, and as a king, as many people that are King James onlyists, this would be reason enough for them to throw out the Book of Jubilees altogether, right off of the first line of the uh, of uh, you know Genesis one one, yeah. um, <clears throat> because that's uh, you know because you get multiple heavens. Um, right in Jubilees too. So um, I believe this definitely, um, and not, um, not that I'm a fan of every one of these versions, uh, but I think there's something to that aspect of, of plurality there. Yeah, yeah, for sure, brother. It's, it is an interesting thing to look into, especially when you look into these words that can be singular or plural in the Hebrew, right? For, for example, we have in Genesis 3 verse 5 of the King James, for God does know that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened and you shall be as gods, plural, knowing good and evil. 
the word there we know is Elohim, right? So the King James mm -hmm. decided to use Elohim and pluralize it for you will be as gods. But even just earlier, it says for God does know, and it's the same word Elohim, right? So it's hard. It's, it all depends on context. Obviously, I actually agree with the King James with Genesis 3 verse 5 and how they rendered that. Um, whereas most of the other ones will just say you will be as God, as you know, the God Elohim. So I think another thing we have to consider is, um, aside from the fact that we have to contend with translator bias is um, publication rights and copyrights and stuff like that, right? They have to change. They're obligated to change the text just a little bit, which is really unfortunate for people who want to be scholarly like us and like read into what the, the truth is, right? And so we have to contend with multiple versions and them just tweaking things slightly, but that changes potentially the context of the entire, whatever it is you're looking at, right? So yeah. I agree, Chris, it's, yeah. it is interesting for sure. And and I will say this, no King James only hate mail. I'm not saying anything. So I'm just saying it's very interesting. <laughs> I once was part of a King James only establishment. So yeah, we, we get the comments regardless, brother. Yes. <laughs> we won't even we won't even mention anything about Bible translations and the comments will still come up with you guys are not reading from the King James, the Holy Scriptures. <laughs> yeah, so well, maybe like, there's a there there has to be some type of a, a YouTube feature that uh, disables uh, King James only comments. <laughs> <laughs> well, my biggest thing is like, look, what what were these people talking about in the 1400s when they only have Latin and the Hebrew and the Greek? And you know what I'm saying? Like, were they, <laughs> where were these guys then? Like, what's going on here? Yeah. So or were they just like Textus Recepticus only? Like, I mean, it just, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't know. So it is um, funny. But yeah, guys, I, I love this concept because we have the introduction of a ferment, which oh, as a as just look at it from like a, a structural standpoint, as far as this is something that seems to be tangible here in Jubilees 2.4 because it's dividing things. It's dividing water mm -hmm. above it and below it. So this is the same description we get in Genesis 1. And it's to me, it 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 upholds to the same argument, which is that it can't just be the wind because the wind. And this is what I hear from so many people that re reject the biblical model is they say, well, no, see, the, the wind in the atmosphere divides water on the seas and the oceans from, from other moisture above. And I'm like, what do you mean? Moisture that goes into nothingness and the outer space? How much, how much dispersion of water molecules do I have to have in a vacuum before it's no longer considered water? Yeah. Right? So how much collection of water molecules before now is considered actual water? You know what I mean? And otherwise, you're just talking about little infinitesimal small concepts of, of water molecules that have been dispersed into the great nothingness of the helio model with no barrier in between, which is totally against the second law of thermodynamics, by the way, but that's another show. <laughs> so, the, <laughs> so, but this whole concept is like, it, it, and they say it's just the atmosphere. It's just the winds that have divided the waters above and then the, from the waters on the, earth, on the ground below. And then we, you even get some people that will go as far as to even say, well, that, this means that there's just an ice layer in the greater atmosphere of, or in the greater regions of space. There's just a huge ice layer out there somewhere and all the space, all the planets, the, in, the infinite distances between stars and all the things that come into the earth's atmosphere, that's the firmament that's being described here. But the problem is, and I'm gonna put this on screen guys, the people who wrote the lexicons, the people who study Hebrew and actually put the word down as, as far as the definition for the word being used 
in the Hebrew here, which is the, the rakia, they would disagree with that translation because they all just declare that this ferment is a solid structure that has an arch to it. Yep. That was the traditional definition. That's the lexicon definition. That's the established historical uh, scholarly definition for this word. So, and as a, as a matter of implementation throughout the context that we're reading here, it serves the function of a solid structure because it is actually separating physical water from physical water, leaving some above it and putting some below it. And then we read what happens to with the, with the portions of water that were put below it, they then start to dissipate. So dry land appears, right? So mm -hmm. from its, if you're an engineer and you're reading this information here, you would, in my opinion, and this is my opinion, you would never come up with the heliocentric model. The global leader heliocentric model. If you read this, you would never. One one of the things well, that, I do that try to help people embrace this concept or at least just look at it is I ask them, have you ever read anything in scripture that describes the ever expanding infinite cosmos anywhere? And they'll think about it. And, and I've asked a couple of deacons this and they'll just look at me with this whimsical face and go, no. I said, okay, there you go. So so if it's not in scripture, so are you telling me God's word is wrong? I mean, that's what you have to come up with, with, with that. Now, also in, in some of the versions of, of, of uh, the 66 books, like the CJV, it says, um, God made the dome and divided the water over the uh, dome from the water above the dome. That, that is how it was, okay? So, so there are several versions that actually describe it as dome. There's no way you can read into that a dome of air, you know, because air does not create a dome. If it doesn't have something in encasing it, if it doesn't have a, a barrier that, that it has to um, inhabit, then air by nature just keeps spreading, okay? So it, it can't be talking about a layer of air. It's not possible. Well, just like with the, uh, <clears throat> the other popular idea, which is uh, the Kenthoven idea, but not only Kenthoven teaches this, this has been taught for so long is that, yeah, you know what? There was a solid dome above the earth. A lot of creationists will hold there was a there was a solid structure above the earth, which en encompassed a a rich oxygenated environment. That's why these things, grew, you know, all the plants grew big, the animals grew big, men lived to nine hundred years old. Um, you know, they hold to that model. And then once the flood came and uh, because, you know, the, the, the canon tells us that the waters came from the, these portals of the, uh, of the dome, um, that, that there is none left, uh, you know, and this is that, that idea. And now it's Here's what I found on the web for this, yes, there was none <laughs> this blanket statement of, uh, you know, um, Sorry, what is it's just talking right, Siri, you're, you're not invited to the conversation. So yeah, right. right? <laughs> you know, but this whole mindset, then this is how space was formed and came to be when those waters drained out. And I hear so many creations talk about this, but they won't even go so far as for 1500 years later, roughly, you know, we have the Psalms talking about the, the waters that are still above the firmament, right? And I think. You know, if we allow scripture to just 
say what it says and yeah. stop trying to insert, especially with this idea, you know, with cosmology and what, you know, and eventually we'll talk about why cosmology is so important, but, you know, with this idea um, of, of heliocentrism and all of these things, um, it, it, it destroys uh, not only what scripture teaches, but what, what all these supporting books uh, are, are, are saying. It, it destroys them all and makes them look like they have no validity, no truth. And eventually we've created a society of people who don't hold these hard or they're just allegorical or they're just figurative and they can't be accepted for literal truth. And when you start to do that, it becomes such a slippery slope of what you actually can trust. And we see a lawless society based on, on these misinterpretations of all that we're doing. And, uh, you know, so those ideas of, uh, of that, of that Kent Hovind canopy theory and uh, the oxygenated rich environments, all these things, um, that's it. They're just ideas and, and thought patterns which have become proven truths of these creation ministries, and yet they don't have any biblical answers to support them but their own ideas of man. And it's uh, extremely sad, and they make millions of dollars a year to perpetuate these lies um, that they just can't be found in Scripture. And Chris, to what you're saying, I, I agree with what you're talking about. And to add to it, you know, I've had this conversation with many unbelievers, right, where I say, can you express to me the biblical creation model? Can you t can you tell me what what the father, the almighty, the creator described when he made the creation? And of course, many of them cannot because they're continuing to try to support what we were all taught as children, which is the heliocentric globe model. And they'll and then they'll just try to skirt the entire validity of the conversation by saying, what does it matter it takes away from the focus of Jesus. And, I said, <laughs> and, I, and I'm just appalled by that because I'm like, it's the first words in the book. Like, <laughs> you're telling me it doesn't matter. How can it not matter? And for more, more than that, how many people have I, how, can you, I mean, I don't think anyone's ever done any kind of survey on this, but I can, I can without a, a technical legitimized survey, I can promise you that if you went and you just did a, um, just put up a mic to people coming out of astrology, astronomy class at freshman astronomy class on campuses across the country. You would find people that have lost their faith in, in what their parents taught them as God because mm -hmm. of this heliocentric evolutionary model. And it has it has literally dissuaded and nullified the faith of millions of millions of people throughout the generations as this stuff is being taught high school to, to university because. The whole thing destroys the premise of a creator who has a system of order in which he puts you in and he loves you and he cares for you. He can see you literally. And, and you know, and there and he wants to have interaction with you because it puts you isolated in a, in a mentality of thinking that you're away from him, that he's not watching, that he's nowhere near, that that even if he does exist, he's either in a different dimension or he's in light years away so far. You can't even comprehend with your brain. And so it it, it mentally, emotionally and spiritually just disconnects you from what the scriptures describe as your connection to the creator, um, which is meaning we're all in the same structure he built. And, and that theological premise, which they don't call it theology, they call it science, but it's a theological teaching, as you said, Chris, that cannot be actually backed up, not, not only with, cannot be backed up with actual science, actual observation, demonstration, reproduction, but 
scripturally, it cannot be backed up either. So when, when I see believers that, that say, it doesn't matter, why are, you, why are you wasting your time talking about it? It breaks my heart, man. It breaks my heart because mm-hmm. I'm like, there's tens of millions of people that are that are becoming atheist or agnostic or falling into forms of Gnostic New Age spirituality because of this theological doctrine that is called heliocentrism that involves a globe model of creation. And, and that's just what I've come to, to refer to it as over time is that it is a competing theology with what the Bible describes. And therefore, it would literally fall into the category of being a doctrine of demons. Mm-hmm.